You're listening to the Tuesday Talks Podcast, your source of truth in communications, identity management, and technology, hosted by New Miracle. Welcome to Tuesday Talks. I'm Rebecca Johnson, founder and CEO of New Miracle, and I'll be co-hosting today's session with Mitch Roth, founding member of Roth Jackson and our subject matter expert for the Enterprise Communications Advocacy Coalition, on FTC, FCC, and state and federal direct marketing legal matters. Welcome, Mitch. So uh, I'm also a part of the Enterprise Communications Advocacy Coalition, so I'm not sure what hat I'm wearing today, but I'll probably jump back and forth. Um, So Mitch, first, I just want to thank you for joining us um, with our last Tuesday Talks podcast of our cross-border call delivery challenges series, in which we're now going to turn back to the U.S. and discuss the recent further notice of proposed rulemaking from the FCC, which was published October 26th. But before we dive into the FNPRM, I wanted to highlight some exciting and interesting news. Last week, finally, finally. President Biden nominated acting chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel as the permanent chair of the FCC. So for those who aren't following, Chairman Rosenworcel's term lapsed in 2020. So she must be confirmed to her new term by the Senate before the end of the year. Uh, and I also want to note that President Biden also nominated Gigi Sun, a distinguished fellow at the Georgetown Law Institute for Technology, Law, and Policy, to fill the other Democratic vacancy. So if both Chairwoman Rosenworcel and Sun are confirmed, the Democrats will hold a 3-2 majority. And Mitch, there's this one little last thing that I must highlight with regards to Rosenworcel is that President Biden has designated Rosenworcel as chair of the FCC, which makes her the first woman in history to serve in this capacity. And for that, I am very excited. And very long overdue. And uh, Jessica Rosenworcel has had a very long um, and distinguished history with the uh, commission. She's not a stranger to the FCC. Uh, she has um, a very impressive track record of being very pro-consumer, uh, pro-free use of uh, the internet. She was instrumental in pushing through the net neutrality uh, uh, laws, um, and obviously she's been a strong advocate um, for the control of uh, robocalls and the elimination of the certainly the illegal robocalls. Absolutely. So on that topic of the elimination of illegal robocalls. Let's get back to the topic of discussion, which is the FNPRM. And this particular proposed rulemaking, the FCC is seeking comment on a number of actions aimed at stopping illegal robocalls from entering the U.S. networks. So there's a focus now. Eliminating illegal robocalls that originate abroad is one of the most vexing challenges that the FCC faces in eliminating the scourge of robocalling because of the difficulties presented by foreign-based robocallers. So today we are going to discuss the rules proposed which place new obligations on the gateway providers that are the point of entry for foreign calls into the U.S. So the FCC is essentially requiring gateway providers to lend a hand in the fight against illegal robocalls originating abroad. And Mitch, I think that it's a little bit more than just lending a hand. 
So up until now, the focus from the FCC has been on the originating and terminating voice service providers in the U.S. So this FNPRM takes a shift to focus on gateway providers. Yeah, absolutely, Rebecca. I mean, you, you nailed it. Uh, the gateway providers weren't getting much attention, nor were any of the intermediate intermediary um, voice providers in the in the call flow. Uh, but the FCC has, in in one short, or I shouldn't say short, but one rulemaking has pretty much promoted them to be their top enforcement mechanism when it comes to keeping um, illegal robocalls out from the United States. Um, you know, it's probably worthwhile noting who they consider gateway providers to be. They consider the gateway provider to be the first U.S.-based intermediate provider in the call path of a foreign-originated call that transmits the call directly to either another intermediate voice uh, provider or to a terminating voice service provider in the U.S. So it's, it's like you said, it's, it's that first connection into the U.S., that first uh, party that's going to receive that call and then transmit that call ultimately to its final destination in the U.S. And an interesting point on regards to defining gateway provider, because the FCC is actually seeking comment on finally act, giving a definition. So if you find yourself in the position of gateway provider, uh, you might want to be a part of defining who you are and what you do. Um, but for the sake of time uh, in our podcast, although we feel like 20 minutes, 25 minutes is a long time, it goes by so fast. So... What I wanted to focus on was, to me, these were my kind of viewpoints of what was the most important thing, not only from a gateway provider perspective, but from enterprises. Because we know that there are a lot of call centers, BPOs, enterprises who leverage international call centers to deliver calls into the U.S. So three key areas that I think are important that we're going to cover is authentication, robocall mitigation, and mandatory blocking. And that's right. I said mandatory. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's scary. Uh, they want uh, the FCC is proposing to have um, gateway providers have obligations to block calls. You know, these are this is new new territory for all intermediate service providers. Their their prior obligation has really been to just take the call from point A and pass it on to point B and get the heck out of the way and let the uh, traffic go through. But for the first time, there are affirmative um, obligations for these gateway providers to perform robocall mitigation. I know we'll get into that, but also to, uh, to, to actually block calls. One of the big comments or issue areas of comment is, should that blocking take place before or after some type of uh, reasonable investigation takes place? And the fact that the FCC would even consider requiring gateway providers to block calls without any type of investigation is pretty groundbreaking. Right. And and it really has been, I mean, the FCC used the word, and I think it makes sense, is permissive approach on call, call blocking. And they're spelling it out here that they'll make it mandatory for the gateway providers to block calls. And when you read the comments, you kind of understand what the FCC are, is trying to achieve here is instead of leaving it on to the terminating carrier, which is ultimately the closest you can get to the subscriber they're looking at this as a huge win, not only for the subscriber, but for our network infrastructure in the US, for the gateway provider to do the blocking. But we know that the reasonable analytics that are used to identify what to block or not to block have issues. 
they're not accurate, even within our little world that we look at. So making this mandatory, and and I think it even goes to me, it's egregious to go to the level of you don't have to investigate. Just if you feel like it's it's a fraud or it's illegal, then you should be doing the blocking. And there was something you brought up um, when we were discussing this earlier about what they would do if, in fact, they find out that it's not an illegal call, but they did put blocking in. Then, then the obligation is basically hurry up quickly, turn around as fast as you can, because then the obligation becomes on the uh, gateway providers to unblock those calls and allow the, uh, those calls to ultimately go through. You know, all it's going to take is a letter from the Enforcement Bureau, which is going to trigger these requirements. So, you know, it remains to be seen what level of confidence is in those, causes those, those letters to go out in the first place. Uh, but, you know, you, suffice it to say, if you get a letter from an Enforcement Bureau and you're a gateway provider, you're at the very least are going to be under an obligation to conduct an investigation into those calls, if not um, actually block them before you conduct that investigation. And the latter is certainly a very scary proposition. Right. And speaking of responding to those letters of investigation, here we go again. Uh, the requirements are more restrictive on the gateway providers. With uh, traceback requests, they have to respond within 24 hours, whereas terminating providers, it's, what was it, likely reasonable just time? Re exactly. Just a reasonable <laughs> amount of time. Correct. And it's, <sighs> and you know, I, I'm sorry for jumping around, but you know, if a gateway provider does not follow all of these obligations, then they're subject to be called a quote unquote bad actor. Mm. And if they are labeled a bad actor, then the FCC is threatening to require all downstream carriers to block all traffic from that bad actor um, uh, gateway provider, which would include both the international calls and the uh, domestic calls. Um, so it really is, is, is very problematic um, for the gateway providers if they don't follow these rules. So on the robocall mitigation, we've, on our Tuesday talks, have covered um, the robocall mitigation plan, the robocall mitigation database, um, and that was put in place because, you know, the FCC cannot, you know, regulate foreign providers, but they are able to impose rules on U.S.-based carriers. So kind of a creative way was to tell term, you know, voice service providers here in the U.S. that you cannot accept traffic from a provider who has not registered within the robocall mitigation database. And within that robocall mitigation database, you set, you make an identification of I've implemented stir shaken fully, partially implemented stir shaken, or if I haven't done those two things then I can have a mitigation plan program that includes maybe like a KYC, you have some analytics, but you haven't implemented Stir Shaken. And it's one word that we change between voice service providers and gateway providers, and it's or to and. So within this proposed rulemaking, the FCC's caller ID authentication rules require the voice service providers to implement Stir Shaken or if they are subject to an extension to implement an appropriate robocall mitigation plan. But here they're saying that we propose requiring gateway providers to apply both of these protections. So we just take what the FCC has done with our voice service providers and everything's kind of getting cranked up one little notch. That's exactly right. I mean, you, you hit the nail right on the head. 
we went from a um, regulatory environment where there was no or little um, regula regulation on these gateway providers to holding them, them, holding them to a much higher standard than what we're holding the voice service providers to. So under this proposed rulemaking, you're right, they're going to have to both implement stir shaken and assign authentication uh, to, those, to, the, to their calls and um, engage in um, a robocall mitigation program that would take steps or, or develop steps that would reasonably, um, can reasonably expect it to significantly reduce the robocalls on their network. And I think whenever you read this, um, there's a tone that is taken uh, with these proposed rules. And there's an element of, I can sense frustration, um, desperation, because Mitch, we've put in all these deadlines. The carriers have implemented stir shaken. A lot of them have. We see the numbers when we're watching the robocall mitigation database and those who are registering. Uh, we're, we're implementing Know Your Customer. We have attestation levels. We have reasonable analytics. But the robocalls are still, illegal robocalls, are still making their way in. We, we really haven't done much of a dent in stopping that. So when I read this proposed rulemaking, you know, I think the gateway providers, that's the last straw. I mean, that is pushing the requirements all the way out as far that the FCC can reach before they hop over into another land and have no authority. And it's almost like we're getting to that point. And I was kind of, I was thinking as a mom, as I'm reading this, and I know when I ask child number one, because I have two kids, child number one, clean your room. Can you please clean your room? It's really kind of nice. You know, I'll give them you some time. They don't clean the room. So I come back and I'm a little bit more aggressive. All right, you got to clean your room or you're not going out Friday night. Still don't do anything. So then I'm just kind of upping the ante on what's going to happen if you don't clean your room. Unfortunately, child number two walks in late and then I'm just straight up full-blown screaming, clean your room. You know, they're like, whoa, what did I do? I just showed up to this gate. What, what's going on, mom? And I feel like that's what the FCC, they're just lost it. It's the last straw and they're going to crank up the rules on the gateway providers and the poor gateway providers are going, wait a minute, what? when did we show up to this party and why is it our responsibility? I just thought I had to sign calls with the C-level attestation and that was it. Yeah, I mean, you know, don't count the FCC out. They may jump over the, uh, the, the, uh, the borders and try to uh, uh, enforce laws in, in foreign lands, but they're getting as close as they possibly can and they're also entering into the stream of commerce by um, you know, one of the comments they want to have is, or they're, they're seeking is, requiring certain contractual provisions that gateway providers have with their end use, with, with, uh, with their clients. Um, and comments on the likelihood or how reasonable it is for gateway providers to basically interview and get KYCs directly from the call initiator. And, you know, Rebecca, as you know, in this world, you know, the gateway provider could be five or six hops away from the call initiator. But again, I think desperation is a, is a very reasonable um, um, word to use. Um, I think that accurately summarizes where the commission is. They've done all of, you know, look, this is the fifth notice of proposed rulemaking. So there's been four others, right, just on this, this issue. Um, and Sir Shaken has been in effect, and it's been planned certainly for several years. And the, the, the problem of illegal robocalls just has not waned at, at all. And, yeah, I'm sure there is a sense of desperation over, in, um, over at the FCC. 
So I want to, I know I kind of mentioned on the C-level and you mentioned the Know Your Customer. The SS Station and the Know Your Customer, we've discovered, kind of have a relationship together. Uh, depending upon what you know about the customer and their authorization for use, those two elements come together and allow a service provider to assign really the arguments been A or B, right? Here in the US, we know it's either gonna be A or B. Nobody's really paid attention to the C because we haven't been dealing with the gateway providers. But now the gateway providers are gonna be looking at, to me, adding in this know your customer and some of those contractual requirements kind of puts them in that space of having to think about, oh, maybe I have to do an A or a B to an unauthenticated call, and then I have to authenticate it. And sometimes I think we're missing kind of what's the point of stir shaken and what we're trying to do here versus the stop illegal robocalls, because stir shaken doesn't stop anything. <laughs> it's, it's a framework for identification, and we'll apply identification where we can, We'll authenticate it where we can, uh, but pressuring the gateway providers to kind of have to implement the panacea version of Stir Shaken, I think is asking just way too much. Absolutely way too much. And there was one little comment about, is this costly? Yes. Yes. I think this is going to be far more costly for the gateway providers than it was for the service providers. Yeah, and I think it's going to result in a lot more calls being uh, being labeled as scam or spam likely. Um, I think at the end of the day, the gateway providers are still going to authenticate with a C, probably, you know, basically meaning that that they know where they received the call, but they can't really comment on the authentication of it. Um, so they're just going to pass that through, and the terminating voice service companies are going to very possibly assign a C, and it's just going to result in more and more calls being um, um, labeled as scam likely likely or spam or you know what, what, whatever the the term de jour is but it's gonna it's gonna have that that effect even on the, the the illegal I'm sorry even on the legal calls you know they spend a lot of their time talking about illegal robocalls and Rebecca you and I have had a have had many conversations about the fact that in certain ways illegal calls and le illegal robocalls and legal robocalls look and present themselves exactly the same way so there's a significant risk of throwing the baby out with the bathwater and instead of really having a surgical approach to locating and finding and labeling the illegal calls, it's going to wind up just labeling more and more calls, even the legal calls, as scam-likely, spam-likely, which is just going to result in the, um, the brands being unable to reach the customers. Which kind of brings us right back to why you're here, Mitch. Um, you know, uh, from the enterprise perspective, which is why we set up this coalition, um, and which includes Stuart Discount, and he's been a guest on the Tuesday Talks as well. But these rules, even though they're focused on the gateway provider, they have a direct impact on enterprises and how enterprises leverage the communication infrastructure, whether voice, text, whatever it may be. When we put these types of requirements where there's mandatory blocking, that's scares me, especially at a point where there is the least amount of information typically known about the call. Um, and it's really important to have a voice and have a say in what the FCC is proposing and the types of rules. And I will say, and every time I've met with any of the commission's offices, they are very welcoming, very welcoming to the feedback and the input 
from the industry as a whole. So I, I really hope gateway providers are responding to this notice for proposed rulemaking, but especially from the enterprises. And as the chair of the ECAC, one of our um, things that we're doing is we're absolutely watching this. I think our best approach is to look at what the comments are filed. I'm hoping to see gateway providers uh, filing comments. And I'm also um, expecting to hear from voice service providers as well on what their comments are. And then taking that information and to see who is aware and supportive of the enterprises and how those um, the rules will impact them. Because everybody's doing business because legal people are leveraging this network to deliver communication. So we're all involved and we're all impacted, not just the gateway providers. And I know you have some thoughts too, uh, Mitch, on the role that ECAC um, plays with this. And also you had some messages for the gateway providers as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the gateway providers need to, should be all over this. Um, they need to participate. They need to make their their concerns um, known to the FCC. The um, the burdens that are being placed on the gateway providers as as spelled out in the notice proposed rulemaking are significant. We've said before several times they are game-changing. Um, forget about the, the cost, I mean, just the, the, the monetary cost, I mean, just the effort that's going to be required for them to implement these requirements and, you know, the, the prospect of having to block calls or have your calls blocked downstream would have a devastating effect on uh, gateway providers. So, you know, now's the time uh, to, to, to tell the commission and to make your, uh, to make your voice heard. Um, the comment period is open. Rebecca, you had the, I believe um, you have the comment, yes. the, um, yeah. the deadlines in front of you. I mean, uh, can you help me out here? It's, I don't it's have them just like an early Christmas gift. I mean, what more do I want to do than file comments the day after Thanksgiving? So November 26th is the deadline for the first round of comments. And I can't think of a better way to spend Christmas than to file reply comments on December 27th. So that is your Christmas gift and holiday gifts from the FCC. <laughs> It's not the first time. <laughs> yeah, last year I think they had a comment that was uh, right around New Year's, if I remember correctly. It yeah, was. It period. was. I still made the deadline because, <laughs> you know, I've got a really exciting life. <laughs> <laughs> so, Molly, I think we might have some questions that we need some time to answer. Hey, Rebecca, just find, while, Molly get, while Molly cues that up, um, you know, to further your, your comment about ECAC, I know you and I have talked about the fact ECAC will be um, is exploring the, the comments that it would it would file. Um, I've been asked by several clients to um, to discuss potential potentially filing comments on their behalf as well. So, at least in in my practice, it's getting a lot of attention, and I know in the practice of um, some of my partners here in the law firm is getting a lot of attention, and we expect to uh, play a big part in the uh, comment period. So on that note, if anyone would like to know, you know, how to become a member or participate in the ECAC, and if you do become a member, you have to be active. Um, that's the point here. Um, you can email me at Rebecca at Numerical.com or visit the ECAC website, which Molly will be dropping into the chat window as we speak. Will do. Thank you, Rebecca. And while we got that going on, I'm going to start with the first question here that we have, which is... Is this proposed rulemaking focused on providers from any particular geographic region or country? So I can take a first uh, approach at that. Um, 
what's really being focused on is numbers that meet the NAMPI format. So if there is a call coming from France and it's in their format, this isn't targeting those types of phone calls. It's the ones that are being, let's call it spoofed, right? Um, that is presenting as a U.S number then these rules will be applied um, to that so it's not so much a particular country although the FCC did kind of call out they have an enforcement section which you should probably read um, they cover FCC and FTC enforcement to kind of justify why they're doing what they're doing and they do call out a few countries uh, within that group so but it isn't country specific it's just any call coming in through the gateway provider that is in that NAMPU format, which is why this is a concern for legal enterprises. Right, and it's certainly, you know, it's very reasonable for a brand that has a call center in, I'll just say India, for example, to initiate a call into the United States using a U.S.-based um, numbering format um, as the caller ID signal, especially assuming that that brand is going to be answering that call that comes back in on that number. So it certainly is not far-fetched, um, the, the thought that a international robocall, which would be legal, of course, um, which is initiated by a brand or on behalf of a brand for whatever reason, would have a, a, um, a caller ID signal which conforms with the North American number, numbering plan. If only there were a way for enterprises to be able to attest to their number and their identity and have a gateway provider attach a delegated certificate. I don't know, maybe call me crazy, but I think there might be a way for us to be able to do this. So that, by the way, I'm expecting to get more progress in 2022, um, but that definitely is a path that we can, we can help gateway providers on. All right, Molly, another question? Yep, so our second one is, what's your top recommendation for gateway providers in terms of proactive activities to do their part in stopping illegal robocalls while staying out of the FCC spotlight? Mitch is the expert on that one. Oh, I was hoping <laughs> you were gonna take that one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stop recording. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, I, I think each gateway provider has to figure out what, what works for them. You know, if the gateway provider is also the initiating carrier, um, you know, I think that, you know, that, that gets them one step closer to the, uh, to the company that's going to be initiating the call. The FCC talks about know your customer requirements and extending know your customer requirements on, um, on gateway providers. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think it all comes down to having as good of an idea about the traffic that you're carrying as, as possible. Being as close to the end user will allow you, as you possibly can, will allow you to, to, to have an idea of what that traffic is. I know it's easier said than done. It's easy for me to say that in my ivory tower without having to be involved you know, on the business side of it. Um, but you know, when you're six or seven hops away from the initiating, uh, from the end user, from the, the initiating party, it's just gonna make it real hard to, uh, to, to, to know what that traffic is, certainly beforehand. After the fact, I think that there are steps that, you can, uh, that gateway providers can take uh, to monitor their calls, monitor the traffic, you know, use switches, for example, that are going to block the calls that, that are transmitting, um, you know, unassigned numbers or transmitting uh, um, uh, cell phone numbers. Um, you know, there's no reasons for those numbers to be, uh, to be uh, DIDs or CIDs, CID numbers um, on, on those calls. So the gateway providers can leverage technology downstream in their switching uh, services. 
to, to block those calls. So even if they are going to receive bad traffic on one end, then hopefully that traffic won't, um, won't be dispersed into the, um, the telecommunications network through the switching, um, through the switching platform. Very well said. I was just going to basically say, just have good business practices. <laughs> that would be a good start. Know who you're doing business with. And I do think it's good to, um, from a contractual perspective, I, I do like to approach business from a contract. Um, I appreciate contractual terms. It sets a real clear understanding of what's expected of each party. So, um, you know, I do think that's a good practice to just go ahead and have that regardless of the SEC coming down upon you. you good practice. I mean, at Numerical, we have strong contractual terms um, to protect us and our abilities to um, kick you off if uh, you're not following the rules that we've set forth. So um, I think we have time for one last question, and I see what it is, so I'm really excited to answer this one. Okay, last question. Do you think calls are actually going to start being blocked? So I'm going to take this because I'm constantly talking about how, no, the calls are not going to be blocked. They're not going to be blocked. This proposed rulemaking changes that perspective because it includes a mandatory blocking. So my fear is the intelligence that is leveraged to make the decision for blocking. So yes, I do believe we will see blocking. Will there be a mechanism for remediation? Don't know. Uh, what is the data points that will be used to determine what will be blocked? Don't know. Um, so this one actually causes concern uh, for me with regards to blocking. And it's not even blocking on search-taken data. Think about it. These calls are coming in on unauthenticated. So it's not like the terminating carrier where we've had the discussions of, are they going to block my calls if it's an A or a B or a C? No, there's nothing. These are unauthenticated calls. And the gateway provider's got to pick it up and add some authentication to it. But before they do that, they should make a decision of whether or not to block it. I think this is unrealistic but uh, to ask this. But if they do implement that, then yes, blocking is a very real concern. So with that last question, Mitch, I want to thank you for being a part of today's Tuesday Talks, um, a really important conversation. I hope everyone has gotten the message that you need to have a voice and you need to respond um, to this notice for proposed rulemaking. So we'd like to thank everyone for joining us for another episode of Tuesday Talks. Our next episode on Tuesday, November 16th, will be our final episode of our first season before Tuesday Talks goes on a little winter break. In this last episode of this year, I'll be back with Denise to discuss emerging communication channels, which includes messaging, RCS, 10DLC, and more. We hope to see you there.